invite you to find Luke chapter 6 in your Bible. Luke 6, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible, please get one before you come back next week. Or come find me, I'll give you one, okay? We have a real treat this morning because we're finally getting in to an extended look at Jesus' teaching. Up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, we've had just comments from Jesus as he's encountered opposition and he's getting rejected in the synagogue and people are asking him questions and he's responding to those things. And finally, we have an extended section where it's really just Jesus' teaching. And um, what we find here in Luke 6 is a condensed version of the Sermon on the Mount. We could call it the mini-mount. It's the same basic material in a condensed form. Um, We're not really going to be making reference to Matthew's version, Matthew 5 through 7. We're going to take Luke's treatment of it for what it is and just focus on what we find in Luke, okay? What we have here is Jesus laying out the foundational principles of the kingdom of God. That's our grand subject here in the Gospel of Luke. What is the kingdom of God like? And he lays out here in what we could call the mini-mount, the mini-sermon on the mount, the foundational principles of the kingdom of God. So we're going to take this section, the rest of Luke 6, we're going to take this section in three, uh, three weeks, Lord willing, three separate segments. The kingdom perspective on self, that's today. The kingdom perspective on others, that's next Sunday. And finally, the kingdom perspective on Jesus. Or we could say the kingdom perspective on God. That's two weeks from today. So doesn't that lay out nicely for us to say, okay, that covers all of life pretty well. Kingdom perspective on self, on others, and on Jesus or on God. Self, others, and and God. That's where we're headed for the next three weeks. Learning about these foundational principles about the kingdom of God. And so today, kingdom perspective on Um, On self. Jesus giving us God's perspective on our lives. God's perspective on our lives. We all have our own perspective this morning on um, how our life is going. On how we're doing in relation to God. Whether we're in his favor or out of his favor. And the valuable thing that we get today is God's perspective on our lives. And we'll dive deeper into these things with a fuller explanation after we read the text, okay? So we're going to start in verse 12. There's some introductory material here. Um, Luke is giving us some, um, some comment on the context in which Jesus is teaching. So we're going to read that introductory material, the context, but we're really just going to focus on the teaching itself which begins in verse uh, 20, okay? Now, if you're able this morning, in honor of God and his word, let's stand for the reading of the word. This is Luke 6, beginning in verse 12. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. 
And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this teaching. We ask that it would produce its um, desired fruit in our lives. Help us understand. Give us soft hearts so that we can not only understand but um, love and apply. We ask the Holy Spirit to do that work now by means of the word which the Holy Spirit inspired. How we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What is, what is Jesus doing in his teaching here? We're going to notice three things that he's doing in his teaching, they're, they're listed for you in the outline. If you've got your bulletin, it's got, a, it's got an outline in there that you can pull out. Uh, you can follow along and notice ahead of time here the three things that we notice Jesus doing. And um, the hope in working through these three things together and looking at them is that we can really grasp the substance of what he's teaching. And not just grasp it in terms of understanding, but be able to internalize his word and benefit from it at a, at a soul level. We want to take it in and not only understand what he's saying, but be satisfied by it and let it nourish our souls. That's always what I'm working for when I'm preparing a sermon and I'm thinking about the act of preaching that... This is not simply a time for understanding, but also for enjoyment and for nourishment. 
In other words, ideally, a sermon should be more a meal than a lecture. Something to be taken in, that we can be nourished by it. And along the way, not only nourished by it, but hopefully enjoy the process like we enjoy a good meal. So we're not just looking for information, but we're, we're looking for a true nourishment here that can sustain us and a true enjoyment of God. So that's what we're mining the passage for this morning. What's here that can nourish my soul? Well, what's he doing? First of all, let's just notice very basically, this is a really elementary observation, but just notice that he's talking about states of being. That's the first thing we could notice very simply is that he's talking about states of being. Now, we have to understand what that means. So let's start here with this point, connecting your life with the text. Okay, let me just ask you a question. How are you doing this morning? How are you doing? How would you describe your state of being? What word describes your condition? I'll I'll give you a few options. Maybe one of these fits your state of being. Maybe you would use the word struggling. I'm struggling. That's my state of being. Maybe you would choose the word grieving. I'm in grief. That's my state of being. Maybe the word you would choose is uh, wandering. I've got a a very good friend who, if he were here this morning and, and listening, that's probably close to the word that he would choose, is I'm just in a state of wandering. Maybe that describes you too. Maybe waiting. You feel like you're in a season of waiting. Maybe you would choose the word um, preparing. I'm in a season of preparing for something. I see something out on the horizon that I'm aiming for. And right now for this two or three year period, I'm just preparing. Maybe you would say anxious. Maybe you would say needy. You know, there are some listening who just, they don't have their felt needs met right now. And they can't think about anything else until those needs are met. Like, I'm hungry. Or I don't have shelter. I'm just in a state of need. And on the other side, on the more positive side, someone listening may just say, you know, I'm fulfilled. My state of being right now is fulfilled. I have everything I have ever wanted. And I'm, I feel very fulfilled this morning. That could be your state of being. What we're noticing here is that in Luke 6, Jesus is talking about two states of being. The state of blessed and the state of woe. Those are the two prominent words in this passage, aren't they? Each of them is repeated several times. So if we're going to understand and benefit from this teaching, we have to understand what those words mean. 
What is he talking about when he says blessed and when he says woe? So here's a few bullet points on blessed and woe, okay? These two states of being. First of all, just note that they are states of being. That a human being can be in the state of blessed and also in the state of woe. They're states of being. Secondly, they're opposite states of being. One is really good and one is really bad. Notice the structure of the passage for how each, for each pronouncement of blessing, there is a corresponding pronouncement of woe. You just have to drop down a section to see it. So look at verse 20. Verse 20 addresses the poor. Blessed are the poor. Drop down to verse 24. Uh, Woe to you who are rich. And then same thing. Pop back up to verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry. Correspondingly, verse 25. Woe to you who are full, for you shall be hungry. See, they correspond to each other. They're opposites. All of these positive statements of blessing have an exact opposite negative statement. So he's talking about states of being, and they are opposite states of being. Third bullet point, third thing that we can say about these two states is that they are states of being with reference to God. They're states of being with reference to God. In other words, he's giving us God's perspective on our lives. Blessed from God's perspective. In woe from God's perspective. You know, when we talk about how we might be in a a season or of a state of wandering, and say, hey, I just feel like I'm wandering right now in my life, or I'm waiting, or I'm preparing, all those things we listed earlier. We're just giving our own perspective on our life. Like, that's Matt's perspective on his life. He's wandering. He's waiting. And whatever word you chose, that's your perspective on your own life. We're saying how we feel. Jesus here is giving us God's pronouncement on our lives. He's helping us evaluate our life from God's point of view. Blessed here refers to a state of favor with reference to God. Blessed refers to a state of favor with reference to God. And correspondingly, woe refers to a state of hardship or disfavor with reference to God. Blessed, a state of favor with reference to God. Woe, a state of hardship or disfavor with reference to God. Let's talk about this a little bit more. It's not uncommon to hear someone talk about how God has blessed them. It's not uncommon to hear someone talk about how God has blessed them. It's also not uncommon to hear someone talk about how they think God is against them or how they're out of favor with God. In our our common sense, simplistic way of determining these things, 
is to look at our lives and say, okay, I've got a great job, I've got a great income, I've got a great house, I've got a great spouse, I've got a great family, I've got great health. God has really blessed me. I'm in a position of favor with God. And on the flip side, if we experience hardship and if we're losing things, like we're losing people that we love and we're losing our job and we're losing our home or our income or our health, if we're in need, and especially if all these things start piling up at the same time in your life, but you lose someone and you lose your your job and then you're sick and you've lost your health and all these things are piling up and we think, God, why do you seem to be against me? Those are all very natural human ways of looking at our lives in relation to God, right? If I'm rich and if I'm full and if I'm laughing and if I'm well spoken of by everyone, that is what blessing from God looks like. Here is my great life, hashtag blessed. You've seen it. And if I'm poor and if I'm hungry and if I'm weeping, and rejected, and if I'm spoken, spoken poorly of, if I'm excluded, well, that's what woe looks like, right? Those are the terms that we think in. We're not hashtagging blessed when we post a picture of our house burned down or our pink slip. Those kind of things we would put under the category of woe. And the problem with that is that when Jesus opens his mouth and begins to teach, he says the exact opposite. And this is the second thing that he's doing. So first of all, he's talking about states of being. And the second thing is that he's reversing our understanding. He's flipping everything upside down. He's saying that the true position of advantage belongs to the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the excluded. And the true, the true position from God's perspective, the true position of disadvantage belongs to the rich and the full and the laughing and the universally accepted and well-spoken of. Now, let me ask you a question. When has that ever been true? When has that ever been true in human history that the position of advantage belongs to the poor and the hungry and the position of disadvantage belongs to the rich and the full and the laughing? When has that been true on this planet? It's counter to everything we've observed and everything we've ever been taught. But it's true in the kingdom of God. The true position of advantage belongs to the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the excluded. And the true position of disadvantage to the rich, the full, the laughing, those who are universally accepted and well spoken of. See, it's an upside down kingdom. And I would like to say something, especially to anyone listening. If anyone is here this morning, um, or listening online, and you're not sure why, because you are not sure that you believe in God. You definitely are not a follower of Jesus. You maybe have been encouraged to go that direction, and maybe you did for a while, but you're not sure you want to anymore. 
you may believe in Jesus, but you've become very skeptical or frustrated with the church. And I said at the outset of this study in Luke, very first Sunday when we started it, that this series is really for four groups of people. One of those groups is the frustrated. This is really a comment or an invitation to anyone listening who has not yet embraced Jesus as king. What I want to say to you is that if you look around at this present world order, the the world order that you see around you, the powerful, using that power to oppress the poor and the vulnerable, the powerful using their power to exploit and rob and attack and enslave and extort and destroy the weak and vulnerable. And if you look around at that world order, and you're so disgusted by it, and you wish to see an opposite kind of world, if you long for an opposite kind of world, if that sounds good to you, where those in power use their power to help and aid the weak and vulnerable, not to oppress them, but to ensure their security, if that's the kind of world that you long to see, please allow me to introduce you to Jesus of Nazareth. You need to get connected to him. You need to, as it were, go have a cup of coffee with him. You Take a Bible, find one on your phone, and go to a coffee shop and find Matthew 5 through 7 and read his words. It's all his words. You need to meet him. If that's the world you want to see, you need to get connected to Jesus. This opposite kind of world is the world order that he is bringing in. He inaugurated it himself. It's already begun. Because as the son of God, having all power, having complete power, he used that power by getting as low and small and rejected as possible to save weak and needy sinners. He started that order, and there's no going back. That's how God has used his power to save weak and needy sinners. The kingdom of God has begun, and it's growing. So if that's the world you want to see, Jesus is the leader for you. Now, what he did perfectly, the way he used his power perfectly, alas, we have done imperfectly. What Jesus did perfectly, the church has done imperfectly. We have sinned and abused power. We have not used power perfectly. We have not been perfect or even adequate kingdom representatives. Probably a better word to say in the big picture is that at many times in history, we have been poor kingdom representatives. That is to say that we are in need of repentance and humility. We don't have any excuses, but we do have a faithful God who for some reason is patient with us and continues to walk alongside of us 
and gives second chances because he loves his people. And so the last thing that I would say to those not yet following Jesus is do not let the failures of his disciples obscure your view of the simple, beautiful, true, pure teaching of Jesus that we find here in Luke 6. This is what he stands for. This is what he came to announce, an upside-down kingdom in which the position of advantage belongs to the poor and the hungry and the weeping. And the position of disadvantage belongs to the rich and the full and the laughing. And you need to know that Jesus invites you to enter into his kingdom. But the only way to do that is by humbling yourself and admitting your own evil part in this sinful world. That evil part that you have played, so you who have not believed in Jesus, that, that contribution to evil in this world that you have made has been manifested principally by your refusal to believe and acknowledge and honor God. You have not believed him. You have not honored him. And there is no side door to the kingdom of God. Everyone that enters must go through the low door and bow low before Jesus, saying, I have sinned. I am evil. I need a savior. Only one is good. Only one is king, and that's Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. It's his kingdom, and you can't have the kingdom without the king. Okay, I think a summary is going to be helpful, and concluding will also be helpful and good. What's Jesus doing here? He's talking about states of being, what it means to be blessed, what it means to be in woe. He's reversing our understanding. It's the poor and lowly who hold the true position of advantage. It's the rich and the mighty that hold the true position of disadvantage. That's a new thing. That's unexpected. Now, at this point, even with everything we've talked about, we still have all kinds of questions. And here's the biggest one in my mind, just reading this and taking it at face value. Does being poor in this life guarantee favor from God? Does weeping now or living in grief right now guarantee God's favor eternally? Because that's kind of what it looks like. These are pretty universal terms. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Does that mean I'm in favor with God if I'm poor? And conversely, if I'm rich, am I automatically out of God's favor? Like there's no way for me to be right with God if I'm rich or if I'm full now. Does that mean that there's nothing but trouble ahead for me? It kind of seems that way. These statements seem to make it that plain. And if we're honest, they don't seem to take into account the gospel of justification by grace through faith. It just seems like being right with God is a matter of how much money you have. 
or your position in life? And where is the gospel in that? So in order to deal with those very important questions that are still hanging over the text here, let's make this last observation about what Jesus is doing, because this this will help us understand. Our final observation is this. So Jesus is talking about states of being. He's reversing our understanding. And finally, he's, he's helping us to properly value him and his kingdom. He is helping people like us to properly value him and his kingdom. His goal is not to say how a person can be justified before God. He's not teaching us how a right standing before God is obtained. If we want that explanation of how to be right with God, we can find it in the scriptures. We can go to Romans 3, 21 through 26, and Paul tells us, gives us an explanation of how we can be right with God by grace, through faith. And if we want it in Jesus' own words, if we want to see him tell us how a person can be right with God, we can find that in John 6, verses 35 to 40. Those are the places that we can go for an explanation of how God declares a person to be righteous, or we could say how to receive eternal life. Okay, It's not what Jesus is doing here. He's doing something different. He's not explaining how justification works. He's rather helping us to properly value him and his kingdom. Let me ask you a question. How do you do that? How do you teach people about the relative value of Jesus and his kingdom? When all we see around us is material things, tangible things, things that we can put a value on, how in the world are we going to properly value Christ and his kingdom? Jesus has got his work cut out for him, doesn't he? How is he going to help finite minds properly value himself and his kingdom? Jesus says, this is verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Okay. Now, I don't want to be uh, crude. I don't want to be irreverent with this question. But my question back to him might be something like, well, what is that worth? Is that supposed to be an adequate compensation for my poverty in life? You're telling me that I have the kingdom of God. Well, what's that worth? What does that mean? How should I value that? How valuable is this kingdom? We have no idea what the answers to these questions are. Jesus is the only one who knows the true value of his person and his kingdom. And more than once in the Gospels, he tries to help us and he gives us pictures about what his kingdom is worth. Matthew 13, it's like treasure hidden in a field. And it's like the one, the one pearl of surpassing Value. He's trying to give us pictures to help us understand and relate to us. We who don't know how valuable his kingdom is. Well, this is how he does it here in Luke 6. Helping us with his value question. In a series of eight statements, four blessings and four woes, he communicates this. First of all, possessing the kingdom of God is an eternal 
and immeasurable blessing. Possessing the kingdom of God is an eternal and immeasurable blessing. Understand what he's saying. The kingdom of God is so valuable that even if you don't have anything else of value in this life, even if you do not have money or food or happiness or friends or inclusion, these are just going right through his blessing statements. If you don't have any of those things, even if you should be weeping continually, if you do not have anything else of value in this life, you are nevertheless to be counted as blessed because you have the kingdom of God. It's the one thing that if you have it, you are blessed. If you are a disciple of Jesus, so if, if you are a Christian, if you are following Jesus, this is, this is where the nourishment for our souls comes in this morning, okay? Because I know, I, I don't know everything, but I know because life is hard. I know some of you are dealing with really, really hard things. And I don't know the half of it. But this is, this is what nourishes our soul. That in every condition, whether we find ourselves poor or hungry or weeping or whatever, this is what God pronounces on your situation today, Christ follower. You are. Look at the word are in, in the text. You are blessed. By virtue of the fact that you have Jesus and his kingdom. That's God's pronouncement on your life from this text. You are to be called blessed. You are blessed. That is your life from God's perspective. That's how valuable the kingdom of God is. Possessing the kingdom of God is an eternal and immeasurable blessing. On the other hand... Not possessing the kingdom of God is an extreme and incurable poverty. Not possessing the kingdom of God is an extreme and incurable poverty. The kingdom of God is so valuable. That even if you have all things in this life, money, food, popularity, carefree life, laughing constantly, if you don't have the kingdom of God, your state, your status is woe. It's the one thing that if you don't have it, woe to you. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, if you have not bowed before him and received him by faith, this is what you need to know from Luke 6. Not my word to you, God's word to you. 
that in spite of everything that you have, and even if you should have all that the world can offer, in terms of all the things we've talked about, riches and wealth and all these great things, if you could have everything that a human can have, if you do not have Jesus and his kingdom, your true condition is woe and hardship, disfavor with God. That's how valuable the kingdom of God is. That's how necessary and irreplaceable it is. It's the one thing in this universe that defines the difference between blessing and woe. Not money, not fulfillment, not sex, not power, not fame. In spite of everything that the world says, the one thing that must be had is the kingdom of God. There is no earthly poverty that can detract from it. And there is no earthly wealth that can make up for its absence. How do you view your life now? After Hearing the teaching of Jesus, what do you now say about your life? Are you rich or are you poor? Not according to the world's definition, but his. Are you in a state of blessing or are you in a state of woe? Today you have heard what's true about your life. However hard your life is, Blessed are you if you have Christ in his kingdom. And however great your life is, woe to you if you have not Christ in his kingdom. Believe every word that Jesus speaks. Believe him. Receive him. Follow him. Worship him. Obey him. Jesus and his kingdom are everything. He is everything. That's why he can say, blessed are you if you are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Amen. Father, in the, in the quiet, we remember and we confess by faith our blessing if we own Jesus and his kingdom. Even though our, our bodies ache and are tired, even though we may be in need or persecuted on account of our relationship with Jesus, we remember that you have said, blessed are you. We receive that by faith, and we believe it. And Father, for those who have not Jesus in his kingdom, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we pray that you would convict their heart that they are not okay, and that they are poor indeed, 
And woe to them in all respects. Woe to you in every way, the most loving way we can say it. You who do not know Jesus have not come to him in faith. We love you, but woe to you. Because your, your wealth and your riches and whatever you have have obscured your vision from the only true riches, the Lord Jesus himself. With love, we beg you to receive him. Receive the kingdom of God and be rich indeed in that forever.